Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 159th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that has always delivered both quality and quantity of minutes. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, rhymes with Bagel, a.k.a. at Word of Commander. Uh, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Uh, hey, everybody. Glad to be here. And I'm so glad you remembered how to say my name, Travis. It just warms my heart that I haven't been gone so long that you forgot. Uh, it was my year four resolution to remember how to say it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, my students need to do the same thing. Uh, I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. And MTG Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, Cliff, it's been a little while. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, let's see. A teacher strike, uh, renting a bounce house for more than I should. Uh, I think those are the main things I've been dealing with. Oh, and uh, I've had to go through two sets of sleeves on my cube because matte sleeves just aren't working for me. And if these chroma fusions don't hold up, uh, we're just going to stop using sleeves altogether. Uh, what brand of sleeves are you having problems with? Let's see. The first batch I had that lasted like a year and a half being drafted weekly was Legion uh, Glossies. Mm-hmm. And then I did Legion um, matte sleeves. And then I fell for another uh, set, a different background on Legions because I don't like the blank sleeves. I like being able to tell what's the top of the card and what's the bottom of the card. Yeah. So uh, now I'm on the Ultra Pro Chroma Fusions. And uh, if these don't work out, I'm probably going to bite the bullet and uh, go for like just some Dragon Shields or uh, everybody says great things about the Katanas. Uh, yeah, well, I haven't tried the katanas, and I don't think anyone I know has. But I recently re- recently resleeved uh, my terraforming Mars, which is like three hundred and fifty or four hundred cards with Ultra Pros, and I've only got one game on them, so I haven't really been able to speak to them. I used to like Ultra Pros when I played, but my all my buddies who still regularly play competitive Magic, every single one of them swears by the Dragon Sleeve uh, mats. So yeah. They're, and they're pricey. They're like 10 bucks for 100 sleeves or something obnoxious like that. But, you know, if you're drafting weekly, it's absolutely got to be worth it. it. It is. And if it, um, I was really upset with the, uh, with the second batch of Legions because they, the first batch lasted forever. And I just had to replace it because of dirt, not because of splitting. Like, I could rant about cube stuff for hours and hours and hours. Don't. Don't get All me right, started. Don't. I won't. I won't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hear our show is four segments this week. Do you want to let us know what they are? Absolutely. Uh, first off, we're going to talk talk about the top movers. Uh, some cards have gone crazy due to Modern Horizons and the 36 Planeswalker announcement. We're going to talk about our picks of the week. You and I have some spicy places to put some of your hard-earned tax return money. 
And then we've got some tournament results to discuss. And then we are going to talk about Wizards' uh, new uh, announcement. Was that yesterday or this morning? I think that was today. That was today. Uh, we're going to talk about the new WPN and what it might mean for us. Uh, tax return money? You filed your taxes already? <laughs> Hell yes, I did. How do you think I'm paying for this stupid bounce house? <laughs> All right. So uh, segment one, our top movers, starting off the week with the chain veil, non-foils, uh, about $15, $18, up to 30 That's definitely based on War of the Spark and all the upcoming Planeswalkers. This was a card uh, that as soon as James and I had a reason to believe that War of the Spark was going to be Planeswalker-focused, the two of us were talking about it, and I think we both ended up pulling back because we were concerned that it would get reprinted. Um, if not in War of the Spark, then Corset 2020, because it's not, it would not be out of place chronologically or story-wise. And Liliana is in the story at the moment. And as I understand it, has the chain veil with her. So giving us a huge Planeswalker set seems like a really good idea to bring back this Planeswalker favorite card um in like an adjacent set or product so you know because also it's this was printed in 2015 we're on course at 2020 it's certainly been long enough that wizards could fire off a reprint uh so my point being is if you've got any of these left get well the getting is good because it reprint seems likely enough that i would not want to be holding at this point i will say that um <clears throat> and GP Oakland, I sold out my foils at 40 a piece and or something like that. They were retailing for 40. I think I buy listed them around 30. I don't remember exactly. But uh I can't imagine this like being good. They're gonna give us common planeswalkers or uncommon at least or rare. And who's gonna want to put those in their commander deck? So what Yes, get out, and uh, I think you're right about reprints, too. I, I just don't want to have any of this card laying around. Okay, glad we're on the same page. Um, following that, Deep Glow Skate. Uh, this is the Commander Anthology one, although they're interchangeable. Of course, non-foils. 10 to 20 bucks uh, based on War of the Spark. This was a pick of mine three weeks ago, maybe. Um, so... It looks like, you know, I snagged a good a good bit of these. I don't think the market price had moved when I looked uh, several days ago when this first occurred. Um, so I don't know if any of them have actually sold at 20. But, I mean, you know, I own, I own a chunk of these, just you know, so you're aware. Um, yeah, it looks like market prices are up until 11, so it's moved a little bit. Uh, but there you go. Pretty, pretty clean home run, I think. Yeah, uh, it seems much less likely they'll print this in standard or uh, in 2020. Uh, you might get in a commander product. The anthology, the original was the Atraxa deck, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's it's been a while. There's not a lot of copies out there, and uh, this this feels like a fifteen dollar card to me. Just like when you play it, you're just oh my god, this is a real card. So I hope it's more, uh, good call. I hope it's more than fifteen. <laughs> well, I'm I was going to go up to a while and then settle back down. Yeah. It'll probably retrace. Uh, all right, what do you got for us? Next up is Foil Deprive out of Rise of the Eldrazi. It's gone from about 10 to 2050. Uh, seeing some play in Modern Merfolk. Modern Merfolk. I was not intentional with the uh, with the bubbly mm -hmm. sounds there. 
but all it's got to do is make an appearance and everybody's going to go chasing the foils. And I think this is the only printing uh, of Deprive, right? I believe right? so. I don't think we've seen this before. Not that we have any way to check. Oops. I clicked off the tab. <laughs> uh, yep. yep. Nope, that's it. Uh, it was a common in Rise, and it has not been back. And it's one of the only, it's the only two blue counterspell legal and modern right now, but it does have the bounce of land clause. So I don't know. Do you think we'll get it's certainly a tempting card? I think I, I, I don't want to say yes, but at the same time, I, I think that it's a very <laughs> reasonable decision, which of course leads you to sell the prize. Just, just get rid of them. Right. There's no point. Oh, absolutely. Bail. Yeah, get out of there. Just like with this, uh, with this next card too. Yeah, that'd be raking canopy, canopy uh, non foils out of Shadow Moor. This is an uncommon. Like a, they went from about a dollar fifty to like three fifty or so. This is a sideboard card. Uh, it's a green enchantment that deals four damage to a flying creature when it attacks. So you when it attacks, when you. It attacks you. So you put one of these in play, and every time your opponent attacks with a Arclight Phoenix, it dies. Um, or which I was basically the entire purpose of this card. So, you know, if you happen to have any of these floating around and you know where they are, I would just ship them to a buy list um, pretty quick here uh, because I can't imagine this being much more than $5 ever. That seems pretty reasonable to me. Uh, it also kills Colonnade, but that's much less of a problem. Yeah. People weren't people were playing it for Colony before, so like it, it's, it's a good use of it, but it was never important enough. What I like about the, the optimism of this card, because it costs three mana. By the time you're casting three drops, you've already been hit yeah, by right? That's a good point. Uh, next up, we have Foil Oath of Teferi out of Dominaria that has gone from about five and a half to a little over 12. Uh, this one is, again, riding high on the we're going to be chock full of Planeswalkers announcement. There's one in every pack and 36 in the set, if I remember right. Uh, sounds about right. 30 or 36, something to that effect. So uh, this lets you uh, do your thing twice, and there's really nothing you want more from Planeswalkers, is to be able to use their ability twice in the turn. It's why uh, Chain Veil is so good as well. But Oath of Teferi is two colors and is weaker. And is much more copies out there. Although, how many are being soaked up by uh, Commander decks online? Let me see. Um, I know I picked up uh, a handful of these. Not a lot, but a handful of them um, as well. Because it's such a good card for those decks. Yeah. Uh, Trax is going to be the most popular deck in online there for a while. So 7,000 or something like that? Yeah, it sounds right. Is it less? We look. We can look. Oh we my goodness! It's it. only in seventeen hundred commander decks on the other ones. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's first of all it's quite new. Second of all, it's been less of a reason to run it so far, right? Like, it's good in Atraxa decks, but a lot of those Atraxa decks were made before this came out. True. I, I think it's going to get a lot more play real soon, which is why I bought a couple. I think. I hope so. I, I love the idea of uh, twenty planeswalker decks running around. Following that is inexorable tide. Uh, looks like we saw foils move from six and change up to about 15 uh, for a little, a little more than a double up. Um, this, I believe, is, uh, has to do with Atraxa. It's whenever you cast a spell, you proliferate. So this card in Atraxa is nuts because that just wants to proliferate constantly. And, you know, you cast 
cast a brainstorm, you proliferate. Then you cast, uh, you know, another draw spell, you proliferate. Cast a new planeswalker, you proliferate. So you can build up a lot of counters really quickly. I don't think that there was any real impetus for this, no driving force other than just supply slowly draining. This is Discards and Mirrodin copy, so there were definitely a lot fewer of this than there were of the uh, the MM3 copies. And if I had been smart, I would have looked up the inventory on that before I started talking, but I didn't. But let's hop over there now. Um, it looks like you can grab foils of the MM3 for four bucks. There's not a lot. Um, and you can see it ramps up to 15 really quickly. But there's at least two playsets, three playsets under $10. So it's the Scars ones that are gone, but the MM3 ones are very available. So if you want one, go get an MM3 one right now, right now, and you'll pay four bucks. And we just saved people the cost of a Pro Trader subscription right now. We saved one guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next up, uh, I don't want to get, don't let me pontificate about this like I'm doing a Chilcon impersonation, but Baleful Strix has gone from a four and a half dollar card to God help us thirteen dollars purely on the back of modern horizons speculation. Uh, I don't understand why people are buying it. I get- I understand that they want to buy it before it becomes expensive, but how much do you think an imprint rare would be from this set? They're gonna print it to demand. It's already got a bunch of copies out there. Uh, I got a lot of uh, blowback on Twitter when I when I said it's just an uncommon, and that was in a commander deck. So excuse me, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just I I don't understand why people are buying it. And if you have extras, I would be moving them like there was no tomorrow. So yeah, this is every single copy of Baleful Strix jumped. Cliff, can I chat with you for a minute? Yes, please. So do. so I have noticed. And I, I mean, I not like I'm alone in this. Everybody has seen this, that when they announce a card is getting reprinted into a format, the card prices go up. So Baleful Strix is people thinking it's going to get announced for modern. We know I specifically remember the Buddy Lands, Rootbound Crag and so forth, went up in price despite there being like five printings of them when they announced they were returning the standard and whatever that core product was. Like Rootbound Crag went from like 40 cents to $3 or something, which if you had a giant bile of them was awesome. And I, it is always so I always looked at that and went, well, this seems dumb. Because why would you buy a card they're about to print a bunch more of? And every scenario is going to be different. I think each one of these can kind of be taken on a case-by-case basis. But I was actually thinking about Baleful Strix this week on the drive to work and kind of thinking about it. And here's kind of what I came to, aside from just people kind of getting excited about it. Imagine if Baleful Strix printed in Modern Horizons, and it was the very first printing of the card, right? The very first one. So no other copies exist. Baleful Strike, brand new to modern. As a rare, how much is that card? It's like $40, right? Because you have Legacy will pick it up the same way that they did. And at some at some pace, they will pick up the card the way they have. And also you have all the modern players that want it and anyone in Commander who wants it. So this card would be really pricey at rare in Modern, Mass, in, in, uh, modern Horizons if it was the very first printing. So let's come back to our universe where we have a bunch of copies that exist on the market. I don't know however many thousands are out there right now. With the current demand level and the current inventory, they have a price that appears to have been about $5. Now we're announcing that it's legal and modern. 
let's say that they just announced it was legal in modern, but they didn't print it in Modern Horizons. Maybe maybe Modern Horizons was just them announcing a list of cards that are now legal in Modern, but there was no product that came with it. Well, Baleful Strix's price would rise dramatically, right? Again, we would see it go from five bucks to probably 20 as everyone scrambles to get copies for Modern. So you imagine that happening, but now they're also printing an extra copy of the card. So demand is still ramping up dramatically, again, assuming that it's going to be legal in Modern now, it's going to be ramping up dramatically. We are seeing additional supply to soften the rise in price from that, but it's not probably not enough to prevent a actual price movement because the amount of copies, basically we're going to find, we're going to add like 20% more copies of Baleful Strix to the market, but the demand for the card is probably quintupling right? Like how many people want a copy today versus how many will want it when it's in Modern Horizons? Like a lot. So I think that's what's happening here. Uh, I mean, a lot of it too is like groupthink, right? Like people get excited, they go buy cards. I don't think about it that much. But I think that that's when you examine it, probably not an unfair mechanism. And this, and this I really only kind of settled on and, and felt like it made sense like this week. So I'm new to this. So I'm new to this decision. You've made good points, and I've, I've been over here nodding as, as you told me this, and I, I agree. If this is – so basically what um, the way I'm looking at it from the perspective you're giving me is that if they announced Baleful Strix was legal without printing anymore, what price would it get to? And we're seeing it try to get to that price knowing that more copies are going to come onto the market. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I, I get that. I don't know if Baleful Strix is going to be a $13, $15, $20 card once they're done printing it. Um, if you have extras, Travis, are you selling them right now? Are you hoping for a higher price I don't, as when the actual list comes out? I don't think I have any. I would have sold. So the only time I would have owned Baleful Strix was back when it only had like one printing. And I would have sold them back then because they're like $25. Bucks. Uh, I have not bought in any of the new price points, I don't believe. Well, but for comparison's sake, let's say you bought a playset yet uh, when they were still five dollars. Uh, would I sell them today if I had them? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because we're, we're I'm I'm a big fan of selling in hype cycles, and I've and I've long since been a fan of Jason Alt's you know leave the ten percent concept, which is like don't don't feel like you have to squeeze yes. every drop of value out of it. Like yes, you know if you if you always imagine every point of every time you could sell a card like Wayne, what are the odds that it will get that it will continue to rise in price and how high will it get and how much more money does that make me versus how much do I have to lose if it doesn't do that? Like it's pretty much always just safer to sell as soon as there's a spike like this, unless you really, really believe in it. And that is our lesson on finance for today, where I have learned something new and I am a lot less vitriolic about beautiful stress. <laughs> Well, well, I, you know, I rem I have talked about this card before, and not this card, but cards that were getting reprinted and yelled about. Why is it going up in price? I don't understand who's that dumb. Uh, but it just sort of like came to me. I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. So, well, I could I could kind of get it on some of the um, like when Opt got reprinted, and the Invasion ones are now the most expensive because people want to do that little bit of extra flair. Where they're playing the opt version, they're playing the uh, invasion version over the Ixlon or the Dominarian versions. That makes sense to me. 
but this is uh, something else. And I, I just need to adjust my thinking to what will the price be once the supply is mm-hmm. released into mm-hmm. the world? That yeah. make, that makes more sense as a, as a way of look, especially of looking at a card that they'll probably put it rare. I don't think they'll put it on uncommon, but I'm, I don't like speculating on what wizards will do ever since they gave us two Iona's in a month and a half. Uh, so, I agree with you on not trying to guess their game plan. Yeah. Um, wait, I had a thought. It was, what was my thought? Um, it was about opt. Oh, uh, wait, hold on. Now. Oh, uh, it's also worth noting when I, when I said you have to consider these on a case by case basis, in this case, we're talking about Modern Horizons, but it is going to be presumably some amount of a limited product, probably not as restricted as like Ultimate Masters, because I think they're going to have boosters at like Target or something. But I don't know if it is a 100% like unlimited run like Standard is. So it makes if you were t- if we were talking about Ultimate Masters, which we knew was going to have a limited run, it would make more sense for prices to rise early than a standard set where they will just continue to print as many boxes as they need to, because essentially the supply is limited in one case and not in the other. So it would make more sense for Baleful tricks here, but not dual lands and standard type of thing. I saw that they were that this was printed demand, but it is taking up the Masters slot, so it's only got like six weeks i need to go look at the calendar to see how long it is between uh this coming out and corset i don't think it's more than it's not even two months i don't think because they want to be careful about having this step on war of the planeswalkers or the spark excuse me yeah it's gonna well this comes out after war of the spark right right this comes out like six weeks after that but there's only uh uh 12 weeks in between uh new sets there's only, I'm sorry, no, there's uh, 18 weeks. So um, they, they have to be real careful about the timing, just like they've had to do with every other Masters, because you don't want your main standard seller getting um, crushed too hard by the limited right. product, by right. the limited run product. Okay, so that was a lot of words about Belfast Strikes. Surgical Extraction, Foils from New Phyrexia, 80 to 250, but like who you, whatever, that's, that's not a real number. It's just, it jumped a lot. There's probably, I don't think there's probably any left really out there. I know surgical extraction, non-foil prices have been creeping from 50 to 60 to 70. People are playing the main deck because of Arclight Phoenix. Sell these as hard and fast as you can. There's no reason to hang be hanging on to these. Um, this is purely a metagame dependent type thing. It's not getting reprinted in Modern Horizons because no modern legal card is in that set. However, I would be shocked if there aren't other graveyard answers in that set. Uh, so people running surgical extraction may find that there are better choices in uh, two months. So get out while the getting's good, friends. Preach. I'm over here doing the hallelujah emoji. Doing the emoji? What does that entail? You just like raise your hands up. That's like, preach, brother, preach. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Hallelujah. <laughs> What's next for us? Next up is Cloud of Fairies. The foils out of Versus Legacy have gone from about 13 to around 45. Uh, this is a uh, this is the untapped two lands fairy, right? Yeah. And it uh, just kind of ascendancy with uh, bouncing stuff, untapping lands. You're going to be able to do some, <clears throat> excuse me, some shenanigans with that. And uh, yeah, these are already in pretty low supply because uh, we love old, 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 old uh, first set foils. No, wait, this is second set foils. No, this is legacy. Is no, first, this is first yeah. set. 
is first. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also not the first time this was targeted. I mean, when just guy ascendancy initially popped up, these all disappeared. Um, so for what it's worth, I don't think just guy ascendancy is any better now than it was. In fact, it's pretty much just worse. You lost Gataxian probe. Um, and the format has sped up. Free spells make a big difference for that deck. Yeah, yeah. And also the initial iteration had both Gataxian Probe and Treasure Cruise. That was Did it really have Treasure Cruise? Yes, because Oh my god. That's they were Ugh. they were both cons of Tarkir, Just Guy Sanity and Treasure Cruise. So that's right. That deck was, that deck was nutty <laughs> when it came out. And dig through time. Oh uh, yeah, it didn't out. even play it. It was too dig through time was too slow for that didn't deck. Didn't even play it was too it. slow for that deck. <laughs> you could uh, you could turn two people with it. I mean it was really hard, but you could do it. Yeah, you needed like Noble into Ascendancy and then Free Spell to start the chain or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's exactly what it was. And then you needed like a Fate Stitcher. You needed a bin of Fate Stitcher really quickly so that you could get your mana ramped up. But that was yeah. a really fun deck. I like Just Guy Ascendancy, but I think it's time is coming gone. Um, Probably. Following that time stretch, 10th edition foils, 35 to 140 or some other large number. This is just a the double time walk effect. It's been a while since this has been reprinted. It showed up back all the way back. I think 10th edition was the last edition. Let me see. Yes, 10th edition was the last time it was printed. Non foils are still around 15 bucks. Um, it's slowly crept up from like eight or nine dollars over the last, I don't know, seven years or something. Um so it hasn't been in a rush, but I think this is just somebody grabbed the last foil or two. Maybe they thought they would want to shove it into their taking turns deck in modern or something. No, he doesn't play uh, time stretch in that deck. Oh, I'm sure you're um, not supposed to. I just mean somebody went, oh, I want to buy a cool foil and put it in my modern deck. <laughs> that or uh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, depending on your play group, you'll either get them all to concede immediately or you just painted a target on your forehead. Either one works. Yeah, the number of times you cast this game and it doesn't end almost immediately after is pretty much zero because nobody casts this oh. fairly. Yeah, it doesn't exile like all the um, all the more recent time spells do. I, I remember thankfully. my first my first EDH deck that worked, which was my second EDH deck, was Riku of the Two Reflections. And I don't even want to hear another word you're going to say. Well, I, I didn't understand uh, EDH yet, like really all that well. And my, I remember my friend said it was harder to build a good deck than a great deck. And I didn't quite know what they meant. And then I untapped and doubled Time Stretch and then cast an Eternal Witness, getting it back. And I was like, oh, I get it. And then I took it apart, <laughs> and then I took it apart like the next day. Because so I was like, okay, I, I get it. And now I see what the problem is. Yeah, I'm glad that you have had that realization, Travis. Welcome. Welcome. It, it's good. Uh, next up on the list, we have Life Goes On. Uh, if you're not singing the song in your head, you're not trying very hard. Uh, foils of this one green mana instant from Hour of Devastation have gone from under a buck to about 350. Uh, it's seeing some sideboard play in the new uh, Reclamation decks, I think in Modern. That's why people are targeting the foil. And did you know the text before looking up this card, Travis? Oh, no. I don't know any of the cards from Hour of Devastation. Not, not that All well. Right. So it's uh, one green. You gain four life as an instant. If a creature died this turn, you gain eight life instead. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically, uh, what is that, Rest for the Weary? That was, yes. that was that type of effect. 
Yeah, I think the most you can gain from any of them is uh, I think there's one for 10 life with a ferocious, like for two green or something. But yeah, it's a, a cheap way to gain a bunch of life if that's what you think your sideboard needs. Yep. Uh, following that is Gerard's verdict out of Apocalypse. Uh, so anyone who thinks him the Turok could be legal in modern is, has never played modern or magic. Uh, they mostly just eat lead for breakfast. Like him, the Turok is brutal to play against. And if you don't understand why you will understand why when somebody hymns you on turn two and you discard both of your land cards and are out of the game instantly, him, the Turok is not a printable card modern wizards knows this. So it appears some enterprising individuals, I'm assuming that's where this is coming from have decided to take the tact. Uh, they won't print him, the Turok, but maybe they'll give us the quote unquote fixed him, the Turok, which is Gerard's verdict. It's a black and a white, not double black. And it's target player discards two cards, not at random, which is a big difference. And you gain three life for each land card. They discard this way. So the fact that they get to choose the two cards is really what's critical here because it's the discard at random that makes him so bad uh, or so, so brutal, I should say. So this is as my expectation is that people are buying this in in the hopes that Wizards prints this instead of him the Turok and they they get paid. And if you know something I don't, I'm all ears. I'm, but that's my guess. Oh, and it went from two dollars to eight dollars. I didn't actually say that out loud. I mean, I don't think it sees play in anything. So this is purest purest speculation. This is there. Somebody's decided to roll the dice at this spot, and if they hit, congratulations. Uh, this card, it it's not. It's the only two mana discard two. Um, it plays well with the uh, the enchantment uh, waste knot or is it waste not waste not. So uh, it's going to trigger a bunch of things for that. That card's still surprisingly expensive. There's always going to be a market for discarding. Just somehow this is white black instead of black and any other color. Like white seems like the the least discardy color. Uh, yes, that this is clearly, it's the black half. You, they discard two cards and the white half. You gain the life for the discard, but it's, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still really weird. Okay. Because it's so not a white ability that it's jarring how much of a difference it is. Cause typically they, when they do those split cards, I feel like they try and find some medium in between the colors rather than just like the deepest part of the white pie and the deepest part of the black pie. And, put them <laughs> and um, just staple them together. Yeah. All right. What's our last card for the week? Our last card is uh, something you picked last week. Congratulations, Travis. Uh, this is unexpected results. The foil rares out of gate crash have gone from a little over a dollar to $6, 300 and some odd percent gain. Travis, take a bow. You are now a market influencer. <laughs> this was uh, this is a good week for me, it would seem. Uh, deep close gate and unexpected results, which is funny because I didn't really expect people to jump on unexpected results. Oh, uh, damn it! Did I say that? Ugh, ugh. Uh, <laughs> it was of, of all the things I talked about. I didn't. I would. God, how do I say this? I. <laughs> <laughs> just just it, lean into it, it buddy. It just lean into it. The first card that I would anticipate <laughs> our listeners keen in on, especially so quickly. All right. Segment two, our cards to watch. Uh, oh, you d- deleted Cliff. 
before the show, before what? the show, I yelled at Cliff. No, before the show, I told Cliff that I get angry at James for erasing all of my Excel formatting. And I just while, took out what James's old stuff. Why are you getting mad? Those at me? weren't old picks. He put them in for this show. He wanted us to do them for him. Oh, okay. <laughs> then hold on. <laughs> yeah. Then I'll put it. Look, oh, okay. Yeah, undo oh, function. You, oh, look, it's right okay, there. Okay, I didn't know that you just deleted. I don't know how many things you clicked here in the meantime. Dipstick coming over here, gonna get all hissy with I'm me. I'm getting hissy. Just you deleted them. They were there please, for a reason. Please. All right. Our car, all right. Our guys are we gonna? Are we going to let? Uh, are we gonna give James his moment in the sun, even though he's not here first, or we want to do our? Yeah, let me fire his off real quick, since we're not. There's not gonna be a lot of exposition. Uh, the first he has his eye on is the. Tezzeret from the Mythic Edition, which uh, is that Artifice Master? I believe it's a Seeker. Oh, have they done both? No, Tezzerets? not Artifice Tezzeret. I don't think so. was it Tezzeret the Seeker that was that one. Oh no, no, it was Agent of Bolas. Agent of Bolas was the Mythic Edition. Oh, and he did write Mythic Edition, right. which is currently at about forty-two dollars. Um, James likes it up to about sixty uh, because of Baleful Strix, especially if that shows up in Modern. Tezzeret gets more interesting. Um, and then some other stuff in Modern Horizons could pop up and make Tezzeret a little more interesting. I would, you know, you figure they're going to print a couple artifacts. And of course, Tezzeret Agent of Bulls is like probably the best artifact planeswalker out there right now. Um, so I don't know. I think that if you, if turning Inkmoth Nexuses in the five fives wasn't, didn't get there, I don't know what will. And, and Thopper Sword didn't well, get clearly, there. Clearly, Faithful Strix in a five five. I mean, you know. Oh, is yeah, also legal sure. and that still hasn't gotten anywhere. But I, I, to be fair, I do like the card because even if it, nothing happens in modern whatsoever, it's a pretty good, probably a pretty good time to be picking up the mythic editions, anyways. Um, and then on top of that, you have that that angle. Uh, and then his other card is Paradox Engine foils. It looks like are currently about thirty dollars. He's shooting for fifty with those. Um, that's actually a really tight spread. Let me take a quick look here. So I'm seeing. Let me uncheck my checkbox. So it looks like non-foils are 20 bucks. The cheapest is uh, is like $19, $20. And the cheapest foil is 27 But then they, the next one is like 20 is 30 bucks. But 20 to 30 is a really tight margin on this card. And there's only 38 vendors, period. And that includes foreign copies as well as non-foil and foil. So Supply and Paradox Engine is pretty dry. Um, so I actually really like this at 30 bucks. There's maybe 15 copies and they are not all $30. Yeah. The only, um, it can't grow very much because of the masterpiece being a, a real like vertical ceiling, unless, uh, that gets bought out. There's 30 masterpieces on TCG right now. So <clears throat> that wouldn't Wait, be 30? too many people. I've pulled up TCG right now. There's 30 copies of the masterpiece on TCG player. There, uh, there's 30, but there's only 13 that are mint. Uh, true. I did not have that, uh, that box. Yeah. Checked. Well, I, I mean, we, I normally just look at me. I know the SP cards sell. In fact, I sell a shit ton of SP cards, um, especially casual stuff, but a card like this, any type of foil, I, I especially look at only foil. Uh, but and, and I agree with you, right? This this is a hard ceiling on Paradox Engine, but well, it's ninety five dollars. And I wouldn't be shocked if um, if this goes up, considering the number of uh, dumbass combos it enables in Commander. Yeah, I mean, this is like to the point where I won't, I wouldn't bother to play it in Commander just because it's dumb. 
but that won't stop <laughs> a lot of other people. I mean, how many cards is this in in EDH? It is uh, 13, over, almost 14,000 X, which is honestly lower than I would have guessed. You said 1,400 or 14,000? 1,000. My gosh. Yeah. About uh. 14,000 monsters. <laughs> All right. Well, yes. with that out of way, that out of bar the way, why don't you get us started, Cliff? Uh, my first pick this week is Yawgmoth's Vile Offering, the legendary sorcery out of Dominaria. Uh, right now, you can get it for about seventy-five cents. And if we're going to have a time when standard planeswalkers are going crazy, because you have thirty-six of them at all sorts of mana costs and rarities, if I feel like this is. Along with Karn's Temporal Sundering, uh, these are probably the best uh, things to have in Heavy Planeswalker decks. Being able to kill theirs and you get yours, another one back from a graveyard, makes it just like really, really ridiculous. And it won't hold the price for long because it's rotating out in, uh, in October. But until then, uh, I think this has a chance to have a real big jump and you want to sell right into that. So what's your what's your out plan? Are you going to buy list them? I'm hoping to buy list <clears throat> I'm hoping to buy list them for about two to two fifty and just move out a whole bunch of them and get store credit for an extra thirty <clears> percent <throat> excuse me. For an extra thirty percent or so. Okay. Okay. I mean that card is nuts. If you get the full value of that card, five mana to destroy target planeswalker and put a planeswalker into play of any cost, like if you get to live all of those words, you're what did you pay for? You paid three mana for destroy target planeswalker, right? Like that's basically what Hero's Downfall is. And then two, right. so you pay two mana to reanimate a planeswalker. <laughs> uh, right. And what's best is the destroy effect comes first. Uh, oh no, wait. No, I'm no, sorry. No, it's, it's the opposite way. So you can't steal theirs. It's not a five mana game control target planeswalker, but it it's still Darn. pretty savage. And the fact that you can hit, if they don't have a great planeswalker out, you can hit the creature that most threatens the planeswalker you're about to reanimate. Um, I mean, honestly, even if you're paying five to just destroy target creature, which arguably is the just the worst way to play this card, that's not good, right? But it's not no. atrocious. Like murder is three mana, like just destroy target creature. So you're paying. So the absolute very worst mode of this is a little is more expensive than you'd want to pay for destroy creature. But it's basically never dead. Whereas if you get to do any other part of this card, it's awesome. So this is actually really good and standard. And I think you're probably pretty close to the money here. Is you can grab this at dirt cheap. You know, pick up a pile. Uh, and hopefully, you know, this, this, there's enough going on in, in War of the Spark that this jumps up to, you know, three or four bucks. You can just dump 40 copies to a buy list, uh, take the store credit and walk away a, a happier person. That's pretty much the plan. Um, I would, I would listen if you wanted to go after Karn's Temporal Sundering. Um, that one, <clears throat> taking the extra turn and bouncing something isn't quite as powerful. It's not as immediately like I'm going to affect the board. But uh, the other legendaries are just not as good. So this is really the one that I've, I've got my eye on as, as being in the money. The, the, the Wrath one seems terrible because you, want, you won't get rid of any Planeswalkers. They're all legendary now. So that's, uh, that's probably going to be what makes me the most money at war, when War of the Spark hmm. comes out. Okay, I think it's a good, a good approach. I like it. 
Uh, all right, my first card of the week is Ulamog, the Ceaseless Hunger. He does not stop. He ceases not. Uh, I'm looking at non-foils on this guy. Um, they're about 25 bucks right now, which is kind of pricey, admittedly. Um, but Ulamog is, is quite popular. You'll find him in about 12,000 EDH decks. So it's a pretty decent number, pretty decent. I mean, he's from Battle for Zenikar, so it's not like he's new. Um, but there have definitely been around, honestly, that Battle for Zenikar might actually predate EDA track, but they've been around. I think it does. They've been around for a while. <laughs> he's, he's been around for a while, but that's definitely some clear demand. He's cool. He's great in that format. People are always going to want that type of effect. You also see him in modern a fair bit. Um, I know mono green Tron runs a couple copies, um, uh, because he's just ends the game pretty quick and is very difficult to deal with. Uh, he, you, you can't. If you're casting Ulamog, there is literally nothing. It's a cast trigger. Stifle's not in modern. So what are you going to play? A, you're going you're gonna to cycle the, the, the new thing that counters a triggered good. ability? <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's, he, he is. He's good. He's good in that deck. So he's he immediately when you cast him, screws your opponent up, and they've got about two turns to exile him before they lose the game. Ah. Uh, so I like him there. I like him in EDH. I'm looking at non-foils here. Remember, the old Aldrazi were like 60 and $70 before... Non-foil, 60 or $70 before they were reprinted in Modern Masters 2. So we know roughly what the ceiling is here. And I think Ulamog the Ceaseless Hunger is pretty clearly better than Kozilek, the original Kozilek, who was, who was 60 or $70. Bucks. Um, so, you know, if, if you get in at 25 you can probably get hold out for like $50 or so. Uh, you know, it's only a double up, but that's a pretty healthy double up, right? So I'm, I like this, um, just, you know, the play pattern, EDH, the play pattern, modern, where, you know, I don't know, I don't know where they put it. I mean, maybe it ends up in commander, but it, the price is already kind of high for them to put it in that product this year. So you're probably safe on this for a while. I am all of, all about this. Cause we, it needed multiple, it, they, the original Jossie have had two printings now, right? They were in ultimate masters as well. Uh, were they? I feel uh, like they they've had three printings now. Let's see here. Cause like yes, they were in Ultra Masters. Right. So that that's what it's taken to get them down because these have just been so iconic and popular with the casual crowd. And this has had one printing. And I would listen if you wanted to say that this Ulamog is going to end the game faster than his original form. Because you get the two permanents out of the way immediately and you're at what, four attacks tops? Before you exile the entire commander deck, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. Well, all right. What's your second card for the week? My other card this week is Cavern of Souls. Uh, pick your edition. They're all about sixty five dollars. Whether it's the uh, all the non foils, either Avacyn Restored, Modern Masters, or um, Ultimate Masters, they're all at the. Uh, they're starting to creep back up in price, and we know that this has been a nearly $100 card before, and if you have needed any before, now's the time. Because if uh, they don't give us another reprint set quickly after Modern Horizons, we've already seen what happened to the fetch lands. And this is going to be another one of the lands that uh, if a whole bunch of people come into Modern, then we're going to want non-counterable spells, especially if we get one or two stupid humans. Just It's going to be all over the place. Containment Priest is the, the popular choice, but there's a whole lot of things you could put in it human, and it's just going to make that deck that much better. And then you'll want even more of these uncounterable creature lands. Yeah. So I don't know how 
uh, audible that was on the cast. But all the squeaking and, and hideous sounding. I mean, no, not not at all, Travis. It my was... so Cliff is talking, and my dog runs up to me with his toy and is just going ham on this stuffed animal, squeaking it, and he's biting it in the one spot. It's just a toy as big as he is, and he's biting it in the one spot with a squeaker. And then I toss. That's it. the point of the squeaker, Travis. Yes. I don't understand why this is a surprise to you. And then I toss it away from me, and I manage to hit our microwave and the food cover on top of the microwave. As I do such, which made all the noise. So I apologize. Uh, also, pretty savage dagger here, Cliff. Uh, so Boy. I was looking through old uh, receipts, <clears throat> invoices for cards that I bought this year for tax purposes and found an email, an order uh, order confirmation email from when I bought 12 Caverner Souls about so this time last year, a little later than this time last year, and I paid like 70 bucks a piece for them because at the time there were very few out there and it was looking real rosy for them. So the plan was to kind of hang out for a little bit on them. Well, that was in like April and then December rolls around a time period where they have never done a master set and we get all <laughs> that's got cavern souls. So I'm like in the wall, I'm uh, underwater, like 15 bucks a copy on 12 Caverna Souls. So I'm not too thrilled about that. And I was like, it was kind of a, I was like, damn, I saw that today. And I was like, ah, oh, man, that really sucks. And then I opened up the spreadsheet and you put Caverna Souls. I'm like, what the hell, Cliff? You just trying to rub salt in the wound here? It's, um, no, but it's, it's going, if modern gets popular enough for these, for uh, Scalding Tarn to be $100 again. Then we got to look at what other lands have been super expensive. And this no, is no, I, and you're right. At this point in time, it's probably reasonably well positioned again. And But you've got 65 d- written down here. But I mean, I'm looking at Ultimate Masters copies for 55. Like it's even cheaper than that. Oh, I uh, I guess I didn't. Yeah, didn't maybe you're looking at Abyss and Restore copies. But I know the Modern Masters ones are like 60, 62. And UMAs, they're about 55 or so. Um, but I do like Cavern of Souls quite a bit. The, the inventory is high right now because Ultimate Masters just came out two months ago. Uh, and while Humans is playing Cavern of Souls, I don't know if it's showing up in a lot of other decks. I didn't check Merfolk. But it is one of the most power, powerful lands in the format. We know we're not getting it in Horizons. And if this spawns any more tribal decks, you know, if we get some seated elves or goblins, uh, Cavern of Souls. Slivers! Oh God, I hope not. Um, Cavern Souls is going to get a lot more fascinating. Sliver high. <laughs> so I think I think seeing this hit eighty or ninety at very least is not unreasonable whatsoever. I'm with you on that, especially if you've been thinking about buying one for a uh, commander deck. Just bite the bullet, get in there. Uh, you even if it gets reprinted in two years down the line and it drops back down to fifty. They've never printed it at less than mythic, except in the original Avon Restore, Avon Restored which was 2011. Uh, sounds roughly right. Uh, yeah, Dark Ascension was 2011. So, um, yeah, I remember that because that's the year that uh, my blazer broke. Your blazer? So, oh, like the vehicle? Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a Chevy blazer that died when we went to the Dark Ascension <laughs> previous. I see. Um Okay, so my last card for the week is uh, Temporal Mastery. I actually got there after having looked at Karn's temporal sundering and then i moved on to temporal mastery um foils from modern masters 3 are about 19 dollars right now the supply is real limited avison restored i don't even know they're 
probably $70 and there's, I don't even know if there are any out there. Um, but you can get them for just under $20, which is real cheap for these guys. Um, they're in about seven and a half thousand EDH decks. Temporal Mastery, of course, is the miracle time walk. It's also very playable in modern, both in the time in the time walk decks, uh, and who knows what else we will find there. So we at least have one modern deck where you're seeing this card played. Uh, modern Horizons might bring us some other tools to make miracles more appealing. Um, very popular in EDH. Just got reprinted. I don't think we're going to see foils again anytime this year. Maybe not even next year. So at that price, twenty bucks, this seems like it can can coast pretty easily to forty. And I actually like this a lot more than Abyssin Restored Foils because Abyssin Restored Foils, as I've said on the cast a million times before, were of lower quality. Um, they looked weird. So getting a Ultimate Masters Foil is probably actually going to be overall nicer looking. I am with you on all aspects. Of this I love the um, the miracle frame in foil it looks nice it's just that the abyssin has that weird like not not quite cloudy i don't know what the word is i'm looking for um but you're right about the quality of the abyssin restored foils and this is uh especially at this price is a slam dunk the extra turn cards just get in there just get in get in okay actually you know years ago when i was writing a little more freeform articles every week uh, i wrote a whole article about how time walk effects were good and I still believe it. People like time walk effects. Who does? The person playing them loves them. Yeah. Everybody else wants to go make a sandwich. Yes. You just have to accept that dichotomy, and that is fun. Is a, a zero sum game. I'm having it all. You're not doing anything. <laughs> all right. So now let's jump over to segment three. Our mini game we can review. The Star City Modern Classic was this past weekend. There was also there technically the Star City Legacy Open was this past weekend, but like that's irrelevant, basically, like to the point where I'm not even really worth getting into. But Legacy's in a great place. It's a healthy format. It's seven different decks in the top eight. Uh, looks like looks like a cool format to play, but not anything we as people who care about card prices are that eager about. Except, Over on the, except hmm? I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you there, Travis. I think that. The Arclight decks in Legacy are a sign that you should be prepared for Arclight to end up as one of the more expensive cards in Standard pretty soon. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're already there, right? Like, Arclight's... Isn't it the most expensive card in the format? No, no, no. Teferi's still way more expensive. Way more? Well, let's look. Let's see, Teferi Hero is still uh, listed at 45. Yeah, 38 looks like TCG Low, which is, all right, so Arclight's like 30, I think, right now, 32. Um, Yep. Let's see. So, okay. I mean, it makes sense that Teferi's more expensive. Um, But I agree that Arclight Phoenix showed up in that wild Legacy Storm deck, which is pretty cool. Um, it is cool. So I and like it. we we've talked about Arc Light Phoenix a lot here before. James is, is a big fan of it, so I know I'm not going to drill know. into it. Um, but over on the classic side, we had a pretty good smattering too, you know. And I guess now it's worth making a point to say that this is all sort of modern's kind of a, a dead format. And what I mean by that is between now and Modern Horizons, it's like the format will change so dramatically at that point that everything between now and then is sort of irrelevant, which is really wild because there's a modern pro tour in between, but I yelled about that last week. (laughs) I hadn't even thought of that. Instead of dead, say static. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what that's, that's, that's an old term though, right? Like that term has been used before is whenever you had like standard. I I would just 
lay down stasis and say like nothing's going to happen right now. Well, so but this term this term predates us because it was like back when you after the last standard GP that would take place in like earlier mid August through to October, you said standard was a dead format because there's like no reason to play it anymore. Like the next major next standard event that wasn't F and M was going to be under a new standard. So. The expression exists. True. The expression exists. True. Anyways, Lantern List in first place. This deck has been doing really well lately with uh, the Word of Invention that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, I see this build put in uh, the, the sword combo as well. Um, so I had mentioned earlier that we hadn't seen that in a while, but I guess this is the first time I've seen it show up in a modern deck basically since Sword of the Meek was unbanned. Um, the four Mox Opals, which I've talked about in the last two weeks as well. I think Mox Opal is really well positioned right now at $85. Uh, Amulet Titan in second place, a deck that is kind of getting beat up by Phoenix right now. Um, but I expect to see Amulet Titan looking pretty good if Faithless Looting never gets the axe and Phoenix kind of falls back a little bit. Of course, again, this is all with Modern Horizons in the format. <laughs> I think it's likely that Amulet, I think it's likely that both the Amulet Titan gets worse after Modern Horizons. I think it's more likely that people get tools to battle it rather than Amulet Titan gets cards to make it better. Lantern list probably remains relatively the same. Uh, third place, Ad Nauseum. This deck probably can get better, possibly. Um, some Death Shadow, some Control, some Humans. Humans probably picks up a creature. Ugh. Anything here jump out at you? Um, the token with the 4X of Orac Champion. Uh, Champion seems like it's in a delightful spot right now, uh, given like how there's some red almost everywhere. Uh, and especially being able to, um, like block your death shadow endlessly. You can't terminate it. You can't dismember it. You know, protection from black and red is, is real game, even on just a one one. Mm hmm. Yep. That's, that's fair. Uh, the deck does seem like it's probably a pain in the ass for Phoenix decks and death right decks. Um, just gets in the way. There's no death right decks better. anymore, Travis. Uh, death shadow. Oh, yes, that. Good against that shadow, good and good at chum blocking Arclight Phoenix and eventually swarming over them. Also, can't be bolted, um, and yep. you can double block their Phoenixes. So, yeah, it's a nifty too. Oh, I mean, really, at this point, every metagame we could talk about feels like it's sort of irrelevant. Like standard's right. going to get War of the Spark in a month, and we don't really talk about that all that much. Anyways, modern's about to become an entirely new format. Legacy doesn't matter. We talk about EDH with every other card. So, let's <laughs> just move on. Uh, before, before, mm -hmm. before we move on, uh, yep. you said twice Oriok Champion can block a Phoenix. It doesn't have flying. There were going to be comments on the Discord or something, so I just wanted to the mention deck, that the, to you. The deck can block Arclight Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Well, the deck can, yeah. Because it's a token stack. Yep. Um, but thank you. So, all right, so our last segment this week is the WPN changes. This was an easy announcement to miss if you're uh, you know, not accustomed to reading this type of stuff. It's not splashy. It's just got a generic Wizards logo on the on the website. Um, it, basically, it does. It's not exciting if you're if you're just pulling up the the page. And even if you are inclined to look at it, it is a little bit more removed from the average player. Uh, but the, the the short version here is that Wizards has redone the Wizards Play Network, uh, where before stores were segmented into four levels and they got rewards and various um, product and promos and, and marketing materials based on what level they were. They've uh, eschewed that for a more granular, scalable system. Uh, there's a car gearing system 
that is a good a good analogy here because instead of having like four, five or six gears in your car, it is a infinitely scaling gear system that adds one tooth to the gear as you speed up. I think Audi made it, but in any case, uh, much much <laughs> more granular now. Um, they're they're shooting for both as they say quantity and quality, and basically every time a player plays an event, it counts as a quantity. So. Um, rather than the number of events you run, if you essentially run fewer events, but they have a ton of people, you still get credit for how many people showed up to your store. Um, and also if you run a ton of events with a smallish number of players that builds up pretty quick, they've also got this quality idea, which is, uh, where they're tracking recurring players, where the more times that you, the more engaged a player is or the more engaged players you have, that is the type of guy who's coming in. I think their metric that they've written down here is once every two months, essentially six times a year. Um, then that is an engaged player. Although I have a feeling there's probably some more on the back end that they're not telling us about how they're re re reading that. Because I feel like if you're wizards, you might be interested in the guy who's coming once or twice a week versus a guy who comes six times a year. Um, of note, by the way, uh, I did notice that their engaged player metric only counts players who have joined standard, draft, or sealed events. So basically standard or limited. Did you catch that? I did. That the, uh, Noticeably, modern was left out of this, which seemed surprising to me, but this that depends on how tinfoil hat you want to get with modern versus uh, Magic Arena. Well, I don't think there's any tinfoil hat necessary here. They're basically saying that if a player a player can come to your store twice a week, and if he's only playing modern and EDH, we do not consider him an engaged player. Right. Which is which to me is kind of wild, right? Because an EDH player is buying a ton of cards. Like typically is 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 going to buy a ton of cards. I mean, they're, they're buying new cards for their deck like every time a new set comes out and possibly stuff in between with how often they build decks. I almost understand not counting the modern players because they, they're going to buy a lot fewer. But I think this very much speaks to Wizards. The way Wizards values a player is they only care about players. They're telling the store that the store only needs to care about players that are playing in standard or limited. And that means the store is only going to cater to that, to those formats. And they're going to be inclined to run more of those events. And if they have to decide between whether their FNM should be draft or modern, they're going to pick draft because those numbers matter, but the modern numbers don't, which is, this is actually, this is a real quick, small line, but I think there's a lot of implication there. I agree with you on that. Um, I like that they're trying to measure uh, how many people come back, like how good the experience is. I know I've been to stores and had an awful experience and said, I, I'm good. I'm never coming back to this place uh, because uh, the bathroom's terrible or they uh, break pods on drafts or whatever it is that you want to um, have the, or uh, rare redrafting. God, I hate rare redrafting. Um, their metric is relatively small too. You need six of these events in a year. That doesn't feel like a lot to capture a casual player, especially if you're doing four pre-releases in a calendar year. Yeah, this number is odd. I mean, they're, when they're talking about six events, I mean, I guess if you have four product releases a year, basically... Well, that's just for the four standard ones. That doesn't even count. Uh, this doesn't say it has to be the standard 
draft are sealed. So like you could do a Modern Horizons draft. Uh, you could do uh, whatever uh, is going to be after that for an event or their the new conspiracy or battle bond, whatever it is. Yeah. Just any draft or any limit, any limit. A format that you're likely to spend money on. Uh, yes. what it boils down. New packs. Buy packs. But, that's all they, that's, yes. Yeah. But yeah, the guy who shows up for your pre-release once a set and then wanders in twice for draft over the course of the year uh, is an engaged player. But if you come every single week for modern FNM, you're not. So if I'm the store, I mean, that's very clearly going to, influence how i want to run events and in the the other part of this is well what do they get for having these engaged players well the the reward is the way they're doing promos so they're tossing fnm promos and things of that nature out the window those are gone they're tweaking it to have packs of four cards so here's so instead of just like an fnm promo they're giving packs and inside a pack you get four cards they are a promo stamped rare or mythic from the most recent set. So we're talking, you know, if you were to go right now, what is it? Ravnica Allegiance is the most recent set. So you might get a promo stamped Knight of Autumn. Non-foil, I think, uh, because it doesn't say foil. It doesn't say premium um, or Knight of Autumn or Teferi or any other random rare or mythic. Slot two is a the same thing, but it's a curated lists. So what this basically means is even if you get garbage on your rare, if you get the you know the rare EDH dragon you don't care about whatsoever, the second slot is a card that is in, is intended to matter essentially, but still. Standard. And I would. So before you get into, do you want to finish slot no, three or four? And before we, all right. So this is going to be one of two things. It's either going to be the cards they feel need to be most in circulation, like you just need more of these. And or it's going to be a focus on the prices because this it's a, a sealed pack of four, right? Yeah. Yeah. One in four of the packs will be all foil. So these packs are in four. They're going to be like box toppers only with four cards. And um, the chance that it'll be uh, how many cards under let, let's do a number. Let's do an even five dollars. How many on this short list, this curated list, since the first slot could be anything. And we know that two thirds, roughly, of a um, of a set, uh, the rares and the mythics are under the price of a pack. So, well, we don't have MSRP anymore. But the other one is going to have to be a, a, a pricier one to make up for what will usually be a crap card in the first slot. Yeah, that's my thinking. I mean, I don't think they're. I don't necessarily think they're trying to make up for anything. Um, in the sense, because you're not paying for these, you're getting them for free. Also, uh, by the way, thank you for pointing that out. It's they are all these cards are non foil, however, one in four packs is all foil, so that's what it is. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. So, but but I mean, ultimately, you know, if you're wizards and you're going the, the cards that you think are going to see play and the cards that you think are going to be worth money are essentially one and the same because we're talking about standard cards. Uh, so, right. but, but yeah, that's there. And what's interesting is that's a curated list and uh, it's public. It's a public list. So that means you're going to be able to look at this and go, oh, I see that Night of Autumn is in the slot two list. So there will be a bunch more copies of those because they're in the FNM packs. However, Arc Light Phoenix is not on that list. They did not realize it was going to matter. 
And so there's a bunch less of them out there because Wizards wasn't trying to put them in the market, but whoops, they missed. And we know how good Wizards, understandably, understandably <laughs> has and doesn't have the greatest track record with recognizing which cards are going to be really relevant and standard and which ones aren't. So there's definitely going to be room for cards to not be in that slot too, not be in that sort of, you know, intentionally useful card slot, uh, but end up being very important in standard. So that will matter for those, especially when you compare them to the other cards in standard, which are going to have that greater inventory. All right. So slot three is a promo stamped alternate art basic land. That's hot. I'm for that. Uh, So it's going to be a regular card, a regular land with different art and some kind of foil stamping on it. Cool. And slot four is the promo slot. And I want to read the quote here. With each standard legal set, there will be a selection of special season-specific cards just like FNM promos, although for the first season there will be five cards up from three. Most of the time, you can expect to see the alternate frame cards you're accustomed to, but again, here and there, we'll throw a curveball. It could mean any damn thing from Wizards. Yes. So I take this to be... Uh, essentially, this is your F and M slot today. This is where they're just picking whatever they want. Maybe it's standard. Maybe it's not standard. Probably has, you know, it should have new art. Um, and there's kind of a, there's a series of them too. Notice that they said that there's three typically that they choose from. Um, although usually it's, it's been uh, about one a month to go with the three months that a, uh, that it's in there. For instance, uh, this time for Ravnica Allegiance, it's uh, Growth Spiral, Light Up to Stage, and I don't remember. Yeah, one other, uh, unco- one other common or uncommon. Yeah, and I think the line here about throwing a curveball is just essentially them leaving the door open to do something different in the future. Because if they just said, "Hey, this is our F and M slot," and then suddenly they put a card in there that wasn't an F and M card, you know, did something weird with it. And people be like, what is this? Like, why they just changed the program again? They're just making this up as they go. But if they, you know, during the announcement, they say, hey, this is our F&M slot, but occasionally we're going to use it to do stuff that's a little different that, you know, we didn't really have the flexibility on before, but now we want to go this route. Um, Maybe we saw this EDH card getting really popular and we were able to get it into this F&M pack circulation in the next six months because we didn't have another avenue for it. Um, That's you know, that doors open to them. So it's interesting, the options, the flexibility this provides them. And by making a point of talking about it being a quote unquote curveball slot ahead of time, it gives them, there's less scrutiny and people getting annoyed when they use it differently in the future. You folded my $100 bill badly. Yeah. Now I will tell you from, uh, as a generally cynical person, (laughs) that the last component on here. Their headline says out complexity in simplicity. Uh-huh. Here's what that in simplicity means. In the, so they're they're saying, uh, how do we give them out? It's discretionary. Uh their event, they they say they're event agnostic. They're not for specific events, they're not for specific players, they're not to be used at a certain time there as the store sees fit, they will give these packs out. Now that may sound warm and fuzzy, but let me tell you what that actually means. No. <laughs> the store, the store is going to sell the packs. Like 
that yeah. that's what's going to happen. And I watch this happen with FNM packs over and over and over and over again. Uh, the store would just crack the FNM promos and sell them and just not give them out. Um, and that's really going to happen now because it's just like another booster pack. And because they aren't required to give them out with any specific event, it's even easier. I mean, you can always report your store. Uh, but that kind of feels like shooting yourself in the foot at the same time because if Wizard, it really, yeah, does. like Wizards comes down and cracks down on them and pulls their WPN, you know, gives them less rewards and stuff like that. Like if your store is already probably barely getting by, which you know most card stores are kind of in that scenario. Nobody opens a card shop because they're trying to become rich. Uh, that can really matter. So you feel bad, but make no mistake, a lot of these packs are going to get sold like by the store when they're not supposed to be, which is really unfortunate, but it's what's going to happen. Now it, it's nice that this, um, it does say that the amount, um, it's based on, you get them based on the health of your community as measured by tickets and engaged players. So the number of people overall in your events, and then the number of repeat customers you have. So there is a chance that they'll decide once you get, it'd be really nice if they said, well, at your sixth event, you get one of these, you know, your store could do something that straightforward. It'd be nice, but I I think you're right. We're going to see a lot of these packs on eBay. Yeah. And my guess is that wizards is, Oh man, I hope that wizards is more intentional in policing that type of behavior, knowing very well that by not having in um, particular events that these are supposed to be distributed through that, this they're opening the doors up to abuse in this manner but i mean really really is wizards going to go out of their way to crack down on a bunch of mom and pop stores that you know are selling the 30 fnm packs they got no nope. like, probably probably not and it's so easy to have uh deniability as the card store too because if you go to your pre-release or your FNM and you don't get a pack and you're like, Hey, how come I'm not getting packs here? And they can be like, Oh, we can give them out whenever we want. We don't tend to give them out at FNM. We give them the people who come to the Tuesday night drafts and you're just like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like there's no specific time that you're guaranteed a pack. So when they don't give them to you, you can't really complain. It also, by the way, opens the doors to the store giving them to their friends. Yeah. I think that's going to be a real thing too, but I, I, it really felt like this, the packs were, a way to give the store owners another income stream and another financial incentive to uh, to bring more players in. And you might have some of these be given away and then they sell the rest. However, it works out, but th- there aren't a lot of ways, you know, they th- for the, for wizards to actually give the stores money. They don't want to give them money. They want to give them cards that can be sold. And this would be one of the easiest ways to do that, especially because it mixes it. It's not just cards you know about. It's cards that it could be anything. And we are such suckers for that. Yeah. And overall, I I, I want to like this announcement. I want to like that they're giving out more promos to players. But I just see it generally going poorly in a lot of stores. Uh, My beef is you're going to do all this for the stores. And you're going to have stores keep track of doing six events. This feels a lot like why not just go back to the player rewards? You know, encourage the player to go to six events. Like, what do I get when I go to six events? Nothing. My store gets it. But what if my store got an extra pack and I got sent a textless card? Yeah, the, and the loss of NPR is brutal. I I always thought the NPR, the Magic Player Rewards system, was so good um, and it so was. worth 
Like they need, they didn't need to get rid of that. They needed to double down on that hard because that was be like, oh, I don't really feel like going to F and M tonight. Oh, but I'm one event short of qualifying for the next level of NPR. Yeah, I'll go. Like, are you kidding me? How do you miss that? You don't. You, I, I don't. I've never understood it. Uh, it was one of the highlights quarterly for me, especially. I was, and there was a point I was going to like two drafts a week and I was keeping track of, you know, where I was. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get that third Texas card. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was great. Yeah. So oh. this is puzzling. And oh. in, fact, in fact, two minutes ago, mid conversation, uh, one of our old friends, Derek Madlam, who runs a store now, I don't even know where he runs it, just posted. And he said, uh, they just received an email um, they were an advanced plus store under the old metric, which I think is the top level. But if it's not the top level, it's the third of the four. Um, and he said they're seeing an overall reduction in promotional support in the new system versus the current one. So uh, as an advanced plus store, he's getting less with this new system than they have been uh, prior to this. Now, of course that changes based on your tickets and quality type of thing. So, I mean, not every advanced plus store is going to see the same effect, but it, I mean, it's, it's one data point, I guess, in what will become, uh, a narrative amongst stores over the coming days. I can't imagine running a store at this point, like wizards just keeps giving you hoops to jump through. You have to appease them in all these different ways. You're competing with Amazon now. You know it's it's tough yeah um i i know that uh my my favorite local shop uh am i allowed to give them a shout out uh, yeah i don't care all right uh come to Udo games in berkeley if you're living in the bay um they've got a whole bunch of high-end stuff in their display case and uh i i go in and i look every week just to know if like high-end cards are moving and they are not like the their their moxes and everything that if you're gonna buy that sort of thing, you're gonna go to a GP or something and get um, a much a better price. You're in able to to go online and look on eBay and such, but they're they're having a tough time moving those high end cards. And uh, I just I don't like anything where the the store isn't. What do I what do I want to say? This they said that it's quadrupled in ten years. The number of people playing tabletop. Uh, I would like to know how that compares to uh, Magic Online and Magic Arena as well. I got to admit, this weekend was the first time I played Magic Arena. Mm-hmm. And, um, Did you like it? I was playing the Omniscience drafts. Mm-hmm. And this is really a format that was meant for me. <laughs> um, my, my friends, my playgroup, we have a Type 4 cube, which is a weird format where you don't have, we have infinite mana basically. And so I was already real keyed into draw cards, tutor for things, draw cards, tutor for things. Oh, the game's over. So (laughs) it was fun. I'm up like a thousand gems on the weekend, (laughs) if that means anything. That means nothing to me. I've never played. Uh, But it's interesting to hear that you enjoyed it. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I I, I hope that all of this works out better overall, of course. But I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. all right. Is there any last thoughts that you have for our listeners here, Cliff? Uh, I think I talked more than James this week. <laughs> well, he's not here. So, yes, you did talk more than him. Okay. You got me. 
You got if you, me. If you meant you talk more than James normally does, you did not. I am looking at the time, the timestamp on our recording here. We're about half an hour shorter than we typically go. Uh, and he usually out talks me at like a five to three ratio. So he's usually good for like uh, probably an hour out of an hour 45 recording. My throat is actually already getting sore. I am not sure what it means that you keep track of who talks more. There are no small actors, Travis. Only about hellfire. There aren't. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Let's wrap this thing up before I make a fool out of myself again. This is the 159th episode. I have edited, I think, 145, I'm going to say. I've gotten pretty familiar with the, uh, the ratio <laughs> of speaking at this point. Um, all right, Cliff, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me online at uh, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and also my uh, Friday columns on MTG Price, the uh, Casual Fridays. Okay, excellent. Uh, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin B U M P I N. I write the Watchtower series every Monday for uh, MTGPrice.com. Uh, I would like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgbrace.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast you're listening to right now. Fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business and a cool set of online collection management and buy list tools uh, that are... It is in the works to revamp them. I don't know what the timeline on that is. That will save you money playing uh, Magic the Gathering. Um... Oh, that's right. This is your part now. Okay, so you talk. <laughs> I got to get you to a new copy. It's, it's okay. We got to switch the colors when I, when I come on. Uh, once again, MTG Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic Gathering singles, sealed products, all sorts of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and tell them that that's where you heard you came to them because of us and we look good doing that. All right. I have a question for you. Does the, oh. does the name couponbug.com mean anything to you? First of all, say that word again. Couponbug.com. Do you mean couponbug.com? Either way. Yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't mean anything to me. Should it? Uh, well, <laughs> It might if you played Team Fortress 2 11 years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, I did. Uh, if I played the bejesus out of Team Fortress 2. Are you, you kidding? Must have been, you on. must have been a pyro, right? Uh, I was usually engineer. a pyro or a sniper. Yeah, yeah always, I loved it. I knew yeah, you were a pyro or an engineer. So uh, the, you say coolstuffinc.com and I hear couponbug.com. If you plug couponbug.com into YouTube, it is the first result. Uh, I might be in that video. I'm not sure, but that was a, that was a great time. Um, uh, I just, you, you can watch it off. I was air. thinking I showed up. You got me excited. Like I was on there or something. No, but it's just, I don't even remember if I was going to clan back The cadence, uh, the cadence of the speaking coolstuffinc.com, coolstuffinc.com. <laughs> Anyways, that brings us the episode of episode 159. <laughs> I was really glad you were able to come join us this week. Uh, and I hope to have you on again anytime in the future. Uh, Thanks a lot, you guys. And we will see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.